Welcome to the Beyond the Box Tour podcast. This is your host, David Kaplan. In this episode, I interview Coach P. She's a former head women's basketball coach at Duke, Michigan State, and Maine. Coach, how's it going? It's going great. Going super, David. Thank you. Coach, you want to give yourself a brief introduction to our listeners? Oh, gosh. Uh, (laughs) 28-year women's basketball coach, 44 years involved in the sport of basketball, uh, author now, motivational speaker, mental health advocate, and recent book published about a year ago, um, February 16th, called Secret Warrior. Um, So I've been busy, very busy. Indeed. Coach, talk about growing up the child of a Navy pilot. Oh, gosh, what a wonderful time. Uh, that was to go and live so many places, uh, to be exposed to so many different cultures across the country. I was very proud of my father as a pilot. Um, I thought he's a great pilot and we were just proud of being part of the Navy. And that meant traveling and being born in Monterey and living in Corpus Christi, Texas and Garden City, New York and Jacksonville, Florida. Um, my, My brother was born in Bermuda and then we were raised in Brunswick, Maine. So it meant a lot of stops. And it also meant that my mother's pretty fabulous uh, for how she moved us from place to place. How many states have you been to? Oh gosh, um, cannot say a lot, a lot. And, and many uh, before the age of 13. Wow. You know, a, lot of our, our, a lot of our moving was when we were younger. What made you decide to be a student athlete at Northwestern? And what was kind of your recruitment like? What was it, was it more through high school or AAU back then? We didn't have AAU back then. Um, it was through high school and universities coming to watch me play in high school. And uh, it was, I was really fortunate that people made those trips to Maine. Obviously Maine was out of the way and Northwestern recruited me hard, as well as Duke and some others. And um, Northwestern uh, seemed to be the fit at the time. And I always wanted to reward my parents for sending me to basketball camp and do that by earning a scholarship. Uh, so, so I did, and uh, just really been fortunate to be a part of teams and um, some special teams at Northwestern. You talk about going to basketball camps when you were younger. What were some of the camps you went to and any memorable counselors or other, other campers that you got to know and that you've stayed in touch with? Oh, yes. Whether it was Pine Tree Basketball Camp uh, run by the famous Dick Whitmore, uh, coach at uh, Colby and just an impre- incredible person or Swish Camp run by Bob Brown, who was coaching at um, BU at, at, at some time. Uh, we've had, we were fortunate to have some really, really special camps and they made a big difference in our lives and, and helped us do many things. You were a four-year letter winner from 84 to 87 for the Wildcats. Mm -hmm. I'm curious, how difficult was the jump from high school to college, both academically and athletically? It was definitely a jump Um, for both, both academics and athletics. It took me some time to recognize that Everybody was really good. Um, The competition was really stiff at practice, much different than a high school practice. And also academically, you just had to learn to read and um, 
to read, to write, and to really public speak and be able to be clear about what you were learning and what your thoughts were. Um, so it was it was very challenging, but I loved studying. I, I you know, I wanted to go to an academic school. I, I enjoyed learning about subjects. Uh, so I, I felt pretty much at home in that environment. You know, I, I heard you say in another interview that you accidentally fell into coaching. Would you share how that happened? Yeah, I really never thought I would be a coach. Um, my high school coach thought I might coach someday, Fred Kerber. Uh, but really, I was looking to get to law school or worked, I worked in outside sales uh, and telecommunications in downtown Chicago after graduating from Northwestern. I get went, went to Auburn to get my MBA specifically, uh, but I was certainly keen on what they had done basketball-wise, going to Final Fours and been very successful. So I, I got kind of bitten by the bug of coaching after my first year of being a graduate assistant. And it was the players, you know, how you can affect them and what they're like and uh, how they motivate you every day and the energy that they give you. So it was by accident. I never sought to be a head coach. And um, I was really fortunate to be one at 26 years old and kind of have to learn the ropes. Did you have a prior relationship with that coach at Auburn or how many other schools were you looking at potentially being a graduate assistant at? I had to seek them out. Uh, Joe Champy is somebody who coached against me back when I was at Northwestern. Good thing I had a very good game. So I was somewhat memorable um, in that game. And then Phil Lee at Vanderbilt was another place I had looked to be a coach. And it turned out that I just couldn't, I couldn't turn down Joe and Auburn and all that they were doing in regard to final fours. And you know, I literally left downtown Chicago and that sophistication to go to Auburn, Alabama, which some referred to as a cow town, which is really not a cow town, but that was, um, that was the thought back in the day. So it was a huge adjustment. Auburn made multiple national championships during your time there. What do you remember most about your time at Auburn? Oh gosh, uh, just the, the development I had as a person and working with the student athletes. I had a great mentor in Joe Champy. I didn't know what it was like to go to a final four or to compete for a national championship or to prepare and understand the commitment it takes to do that. So I really, I, you know, I had some great colleagues and the other coaches, you know, Joe was a terrific mentor. I became comfortable with Auburn living in Auburn, Alabama, a little bit different uh, for a main gal kind of thing. I got engaged actually in Auburn to my husband who was getting his PhD in economics. And so it went from being kind of a lonely place to a place of great connection. And um, it's a special place to me. I haven't been back in some time, uh, but I hope to go. You mentioned at 26, you're hired as the head coach at Maine. And in your first season, the team loses 20 games. How difficult was it to go from perennial powerhouse to a 20 loss team? It was a mind boggle. <laughs> Um, we were working hard. Those teams were working very hard and we had an incredible schedule playing Texas and Clemson and Florida International and Boston College. And, you know, we just started with this incredible schedule um, where we could play well, but perhaps not win based on our personnel at that time. And all I can say is it was humbling. Uh, definitely taught a lot of lessons and helped prepare me as a coach. Um, 
but it was definitely not something I would have anticipated. In year two, you totally flipped the script. Black Bears go 20 and nine, uh, including a conference regular season championship. How in the heck did you get your team to do all that after a 20 loss season the previous year? Great women that I was coaching, a great belief system in each other and what we were trying to accomplish, an incredible work ethic, uh, support by the administration. Everybody just felt that there were great lessons learned. And even in the losses the year prior, we were bound and determined to learn from them as well as the wins. And we just knew that we were creating momentum even in that most difficult year. And I had great leadership and I had committed women who wanted to take Maine to the top. You went on to lead the Black Bears to seven straight 20-win campaigns, six straight NCAA tournament appearances, named Coach of the Year on three separate occasions. I've never asked this question before, but how easy are contract negotiations when you're having that type of success? <laughs> uh, definitely easier. Uh, it's always nice when they come to you and you, know, you don't have to go to them and, and be asking about all of that. I always thought that stuff should take care of itself. And mostly it did. Um, so anyway, yeah. You know, you, you mentioned meeting your husband, getting engaged. I'm curious, when did you two get married and how did you two meet? Well, we just met, um, oh gosh, at a restaurant bar for graduate assistants mostly. And then we met again at this other bar that was really funny called the Supper Club, which was a later night place, which is just a really funny place completely. Uh, um, but honestly, we were exposed to each other as I was in the MBA program and my classes were in the same building as some of the PhD uh, classes for economics. Uh, so it was kind of an academic thing, uh, certainly attracted, attracted to the academic nature of what John was studying and, and he was enjoying what I was studying. And uh, also he was a former athlete at Carolina playing soccer. So we had a definite connection to athletics, uh, but it wasn't too much of a connection, meaning he wasn't a big basketball person. So that could be separate in our life. And I, I think that's been key in our life that he really has enjoyed my teams, but has never wanted to coach them or offer advice or anything like that. Michigan State hires you to be their head coach. You spend seven years with the Spartans. What was that experience being a head coach in the Big Ten like? And who were some of the other head coaches in the conference at the time? Oh, I was fortunate. You know, there are wonderful coaches in the conference with great experience. Uh, when you go back to, um, you know, Rene Portland was very successful at Penn State. Teresa Grenz was at University of Illinois and had great success there. Um, I played at, in the Big Ten when Tara Vanderveer was the coach at Ohio State. Vivian Stringer, of course, had been in Iowa. So the Big Ten was just filled with incredible history, uh, incredible women uh, that were changing the whole dynamics of women's athletics. A very progressive conference. Uh, Dr. Christine Grant, who has recently passed, uh, was the leader in all of this, and she was at the University of Iowa and help bring Vivian in as I was a player. And then even beyond into my days of coaching, um, I came in with Lisa Bluter, who is now currently the head coach at Iowa. And so there was a changing of the guard a little bit. And um, 
it was a special time, you know, to be coaching in a great conference with so many good coaches. I'm curious, coach, were you able to bring most of your staff with you from Maine to Michigan State or were they kind of tied down uh, to that area? Uh, most of my staff, but some of it, you know, some of it had to change based on geographics and opportunity, but most of my staff I was able to bring and I was fortunate to have such an excellent staff. I mean, so much so that we recruited well and then in, in five years played a national championship and and that was pretty amazing considering what those women did and also the staff that I had to help that, you know, help that happen. Definitely. You're named the 2005 AP Coach of the Year after guiding the Spartans to their first ever Final Four and National Championship game appearance. At what point of the season did you think the team had the potential to make it to Indianapolis? Interestingly, early on, although there was no evidence per se or history, uh, we were not ranked in the top 25 to begin the season. When you looked at our guard play, Kristen Haney, uh, Victoria Lucas Perry, uh, Rini Haynes and some of our, you know, because things, I think, great things lead with guard play a lot of times. You have to have posts as well, but, but guards really have to make good decisions and handle the ball. And really early on, we thought we had the right schedule and a special team. Uh, we didn't realize how well we would handle that schedule and, uh, you know, how well we would do beating Notre Dame, beating Connecticut, um, Stanford, uh, gosh, Vanderbilt, Tennessee, uh, quite, quite, a, quite a few great programs. And uh, those are some really great memories. What's the post-game handshake line with Pat Summit after beating her? I got I to gotta ask that. Oh, she's such an amazing person. Um, it's hard to believe she's been gone. The, the years that she has been gone. And frankly, after we beat them, when I gave her a handshake, I just said, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, and I know that sounds very strange to say that, but I was in a very humble spot. And it was sort of, you know, we weren't quite used to the idea that that's how the game had gone. We had been down 16 points. And um, so it was a rather quick handshake and she kind of nodded and that's what I said. And that's, yeah, that's how it went. You had unprecedented success at Michigan State. Did you ever have interest from the WNBA or any aspirations of being a head coach of the pro ranks? I never really thought about the WNBA. Um, you know, I called color commentary for the Detroit Shock, and I did that when we lived in East Lansing. Uh, I believe it was for three summers and I really enjoy the game, uh, the WNBA and all that, but I just never saw myself in that capacity. You know, during your time in East Lansing, you saw almost an 80% increase in attendance. What was it like not to just be playing in front of only family and friends? It was, it was really neat because it was such a huge leap um, at Michigan State where we really had very few fans and there was you know, just people wondering, you know, what we would do or how we would be successful and how was this coach from Maine, you know, going to hit the Big Ten um, and be successful with her team. So it was rather extraordinary to go from, you know, literally 2,000 or less to 18,000 watching us beat Ohio State in the Big Ten championship. Um, you know, looking at Breslin Center full, you know, to capacity, uh, is a real thrill and a great memory. I'm sure you got to know 
Coach Izzo pretty well. Do you have any funny stories about him or something people might not know about him? Well, he is funny overall. He's got a great sense of humor. And I just enjoyed learning from him. He, he certainly helped with recruiting and is a Spartan through and through. Uh, we, we were building the, the addition to the Breslin Center when I was there and it actually opened. And so that was neat to be able to kind of create offices together and, and talk about those dynamics. And it was very special to be in a Final Four together. Uh, they were in uh, Kansas City and we were in Indy. And, you know, that was extraordinary and something that we almost accomplished at Duke and would have been amazing uh, as I think about the Hall of Fame coaches I've worked with in Tom and in Mike. And so anyway, I just all I can say is Tom's a great guy. He's dedicated and he was very supportive in wanting us to do well. You had the honor of coaching with USA Basketball. How was that experience? Fantastic. Uh, just great people, very professional organization, exciting games, uh, being down in Mexico City for the Americas and then in the World Championships in Russia. And just a great group of women and just love being wearing the uniform. You know, it gave me chills to wear the USA uniform and to coach for our country and to see how we were perceived, good and bad, as we traveled uh, throughout the world. Another interview, you know, I heard that you were admitted to Duke, obviously, you know, and they were recruiting you. You become the head coach there in 2007. How special is that to be named the head coach? It was wonderful and full circle, you know, to think about being admitted, taking my visit to Duke. And it just seemed like the great, a great opportunity, not only professionally, but for our family, it got John back into the triangle as a Carolina grad. It also got us closer to Chattanooga, Tennessee, John's family. And it gave us the ultimate, ultimate challenge of trying to win a national championship at a special place that had already played for, for one and, um, and been a part of Final Fours and things of that nature. So it was a very different thing. It was not a rebuilding situation, um, but truly a regrooving with a new coach. And there was a lot of inertia, you know, to change things or do things differently just because of the great success. And then at the same time, there was a lot of keeping some things the same because of the great success. So it was ultimate, the ultimate challenge. Now, I believe that you had had children before you got to Duke. Talk about, you know, being a Division I head coach and, you know, going through pregnancy and, and you know, raise, raising kids. Well, it was unique. Um, you know, it was done by a lot of people, my husband and I, and, you know, trying to get help for the family and some wonderful students uh, that helped us out. But it definitely is a lifestyle. And, you know, you live day by day, it's really hard to look ahead too much. Um, and you get into the moment of demands. And, you know, we loved it having our children be a part of Duke. Uh, certainly, they were a part of Maine, at least Maddie was. And then both of them, Jack and Maddie with Michigan State, and again, as they got older uh, with Duke and the experience here in the Triangle. So it's pretty special stuff, you know, and it's, it's nice to see them on their way now as we're empty nesters, but um, it, it was a lot of fun. I bet so. Obviously, Coach K is synonymous with Duke, and it, before the season, he, he announced he was retiring. What was your relationship 
like with him and how often did you attend their practices? Uh, very supportive. I think I understood Coach K from the beginning from a military perspective, you know, Navy for me, Army for him. I, I really enjoyed his books when I was younger. I read his books. He was a mentor for me from afar. So it was obviously a great joy to meet him and work alongside of him. We did so with USA Basketball as well as at Duke and he helped us recruit. He believes in all things Duke. And um, I found him just fascinating to learn from. And I went to some practices. I didn't go to a ton of practices because we were so busy, but I, I learned by watching uh, and of course all the games and being a part of the culture of Duke basketball. And so I, I, it was very special. And again, that was the 13 years of my life and 13 years working with a Hall of Famer and as some people call him as the GOAT, the greatest of all time. In your first season in Durham, you lead Duke to its 10th straight 25 wins season with an appearance in the ACC championship game and then a trip to the NCAA tournament Sweet 16 in Oklahoma City. What sticks out about that season looking back on it? Just the, the way the team was in terms of accepting our staff and making change and the difficulty with that team, just because they were the first ones. We only had one senior in Juanisha Smith. And so it was an ultimate challenge to have a coaching change for them. And just the way we pulled together and, and battled, we didn't get as far as we wanted, obviously, uh, but, but it was quite a game uh, in Oklahoma City. And we were certainly uh, a special team that, really stood for a lot of resilience at that point relative to changes. Um, I, I really enjoyed that team. In 2009, Duke selected as the number one overall seed in the NCAA tournament. How neat was that for the program to watch it on the selection? So, Oh, so much fun. I mean, the NCAA tournament's a blast and, you know, rankings don't mean everything, but they are definitely fun. And the whole, you know, the whole tournament in terms of the doubt and starting all over again and starting fresh and sort of taking, you know, advantage of every opportunity. There's just nothing like March Madness. And if you've been in it, you certainly know about it and it's pretty special. Your children played basketball in college. Did they naturally, naturally gravitate towards basketball or did your husband get them involved in soccer? Do they kind of try their hand at all the sports? Well, we tried um, to kind of use reverse psychology and really, I don't know, really allow them to love basketball, but behind the scenes too, at the same time, get them involved in tennis and soccer and um, other sports. And, you know, we were kind of thinking that they would grab a hold, horseback riding, and my, my daughter was very good with dressage and all that, but it just, they just came back to basketball. Um, yeah, so we ended up to be a big basketball family. Jack played for Durham Academy and Durham, and then Maddie ended up going to Elon to play. So yeah, it just, we couldn't really get away from it at that point. 2009, 2010, you led Duke to both ACC regular season and ACC tournament titles, advancing to the NCAA Elite Eight become the first coach in D1 history to be crowned champion at four different conferences, as well as the second coach in 
D1 history to Gardner Coach of the Year accolades in four different leagues. Hearing that, what goes through your mind? Well, a lot of good people, you know, a lot of good staffs, a lot of good players, a lot of hard work and opportunity and also resilience, you know, going from a Maine to Michigan State to a Duke. It's, you know, it's a 28 year career when you think about it, but probably feels longer than that, you know, in terms of having to restore some things at Maine, restore a bit at Michigan State, and then in a different kind of way, look for a new beginning or restoration at at Duke. So the amount of energy that it can take to do such things, energy comes to mind and a lot of people had to have a lot of good energy to help those things occur. From 2009 to 2013, you led Duke to four lead eights, won 122 and 19. How happy were you personally and professionally? It was a really neat time because we had worked so hard and there were such high standards and it was all about national championships at Duke, except those four straight elite eights were incredible. And we played amazing teams, you know, lost to Brittany Griner by three, a chance to go to the final four, you know, the Aguma case from Stanford, you know, uh, gosh, Notre Dame was excellent that time with Skylar Diggins. And then you had Maya Moore with Connecticut. So we, we faced the best, you know, we really faced the best. And so we didn't, weren't able to get to that final four, that next level, um, but we came awfully close and it was just a, gr- a great experience and a lot of fun professionally and certainly a lot of fun with the teams. You're very open about uh, having bipolar disorder. Why do you think so many people are afraid to disclose their diagnosis and kind of suffer in silence? Because it's very hard. It's very hard to articulate. It's very hard knowing that people may not understand. It's very hard to know that people may discriminate against you, make assumptions about you. Uh, there's just so many, so many things that can get in the way of your life. You, you know, people want to live their lives and being able to be, have manic depressive disorder, bipolar disorder, it, it puts you in a category and people make assumptions. And so that's, that's hard for people to handle, not only that, but the full spectrum of depression, anxiety, the fact that we're at 42% of our country that struggles. Uh, there's been a lot obviously going on with our pandemic and the issues at hand. So there's a lot with mental health and mental health impairment. And I just like to remind everybody that mental health is to be celebrated. It's a beautiful thing. And mental health impairment is to be respected and people need to be knowledgeable about exactly how it works. I couldn't agree more. Coaching itself is a bipolar job. (laughs) I think it makes it worse or kind of helps with having, you know, bipolar. Well, I found it, you know, in my experience that being a coach helped me tremendously and people find that very strange. But after I was diagnosed and went through my two episodes at Maine, I found myself in a really balanced place. And my time at Michigan State and Duke was marked by really hard work, a lot of success, great routine, great exercise, 
and great energy that was given to me daily by the student athletes. So, and you also felt very comfortable coaching because I really sort of felt like I had been through so much, so much that people didn't know about that coaching a basketball game seemed like a simpler task. You know, if I could go through what I did back in Maine, I can certainly handle a time and score situation, overtime situation. Like, like I kind of knew what real pressure was, you know, for my time back in the day. So I really think that helped me as a coach relative to during games and making decisions and, and that type of thing. Um, so that's kind of, you know, for my answer is it made me better. And coaching gave me the routine, the rituals, the lifestyle. And I also had to respect that. I mean, I didn't go out a lot. I was not a big coach to be social. I didn't party a lot. I mean, even at the final four where there's a lot of partying and all of that, I, I stayed away. You know, I was a bit removed, which might not have always looked good, but I did what I had to do to put myself uh, in my best health. You penned your first book in 2012. What inspired you to write a book? Oh, I just really wanted to write a little bit about being a mom, a wife, a coach, and making that transition from Maine to Michigan State to Duke. It was sort of a you know, unique story a little bit. And I had some thoughts about philosophy, coaching, uh, that I just wanted to share. So Choice Not Chance became the book. And I, I really enjoy that book. It's very different than Secret Warrior, but um, I, I'm glad to be an author. I guess Secret Warrior, I was a real author, meaning nobody wrote it with me. And that was its own experience. Uh, I had a co-writer uh, co with Choice Not Chance. So I grew a little bit as a writer uh, to write Secret Warrior on my own. You won ACC Coach of the Year honors. And I noticed that you started to develop a coaching tree. That means there's turnover in your staff. How difficult is that? Oh, always challenging. But when staff members are becoming head coaches, it's always the right thing. It's great to see people go on to be head coaches and to challenge themselves. And so I was all for that. Some of our coaches had to just leave to get closer to home or something that was a little bit uh, more fitting for them. Uh, but it also was just great to see folks become head coaches. You led Duke to two Sweet 16 appearances during the next five seasons. Talk about the landscape of the ACC. I know that teams had joined the league. Maryland had left. Talk about all that. Well, I tell you, it was quite, a, quite an interesting situation. I, I was with the ACC for all changes. You know, being there with Maryland and, and those incredible rivalries, but then watching Maryland leave, and then here comes Notre Dame, Syracuse. Um, I mean, changing the whole dimensions of the league in itself, Louisville, of course. So I, I feel like I went through a lot as a coach to see the different changes. And it's been a challenge. The league continues to be a strong league. I'm not so sure this year it's as strong as the other years when, when Notre Dame was going to the national championship and doing some amazing things, but also Louisville. I'm not sure it's as strong, but we'll see how the season goes. But regardless, it's one of the best in the country, and um, I enjoyed coaching in it. I'm curious, and you don't have to specify which school. Did you ever feel any pressure from administration on hiring either a certain demographic or male versus female, or did you really have freedom to hire 
who you who you wish to hire? Well, I definitely supported diversity on my own. So I didn't really need to be directed in that way. Mm -hmm. And we had some really cool staffs at different schools in terms of diversity. So I think that's just the way to go. I, I don't think it has to be legislated. I think that if you're smart, you want a variety of people on your staff. And that's what we had, whether it was uh, you know, male, female, tall, short, gay, straight, uh, married, not married. I mean, you know, you name it. I, I felt we had some really good staffs with, with a lot of differences that could help the team. Okay, awesome. What inspired you to get involved with the WBCA and, and how honored were you to be named to the board of directors? Oh, that was a great time. I was honored to represent uh, really incredible women in leadership and in women's basketball. And that was certainly one of my highlights and learning how to be on a board and what a board does effectively and supporting the WBCA. I think that's really been, that was a, a neat part of my career. You know, unlike Coach K and kind of more like Roy Williams, you know, you stepped away with no swan song. You know, it was after the season that you announced you wouldn't be returning to Duke. Had you pondered stepping down at any other point during your career or did it just feel right? No, I never uh, thought about stepping down and it felt right. It was the right time. It was time to pass the torch and to get on with the book Secret Warrior, uh, to be building monies for the foundation and to really putting an emphasis and spotlight on mental health and mental health impairment. And it just all kind of came together. What are your thoughts on the transfer portal and name image likeness? And if you, if you were head of the NCAA for a day, what rule, what one rule would you change if you could? <laughs> well, I don't know. It's so hard and gotten so complicated. I do think the transfer portal is a problem. I think that we are putting kids in a situation to run from difficulty. And I think that's bad. I don't like the portal at all. I, I think the likeness and image thing is a little bit different concept. And I wanna see people do well for themselves. Um, I would concentrate on the portal. And if a student athlete is going to go to a school to make a commitment at least for two years, and it, unless a coach leaves, if there's a coaching change, I can understand. But if there's not a coaching change, I think you have to suffer through those tough times. And we need to teach more than the grass is greener somewhere else. Agreed. Coach, we've come to the segment I call start, bench, cut. I give you three things. You start one, bench one, and cut one. Okay. <laughs> Nike, Adidas, Under Armour. Nike. Nike's going to start. Who's coming off the bench? Who's getting cut? Oh, I see. Oh, okay. Nike's definitely a starter, a starter there. Um, uh, Adidas is coming off the bench, and Under Armour is getting cut. Okay. Cookout, Chick-fil-A, Bojangles. Chick-fil-A starting by a long shot. Bojangles coming off the bench. And sorry, Cookout is getting cut. I'm sure you usually are just watching film, but if you're going to watch a movie, Hoosiers, Glory Road, Space Jam. Oh, um, starting Hoosiers, of course. Probably Space Jam off the bench, and the last one is cut. <laughs> Twitter follows Hoop Dirt, Brett McCormick, or the NCAA Transfer Portal? 
Oh my gosh, you cut that portal. That's out. <laughs> I, I knew that one. That was a dumb question. <laughs> and the other two kind of even. I'm sorry, equal starters or, or equal off the bench. Coach, what advice would you give? I usually say, you know, an aspiring coach, but either a player or coach dealing with uh, mental disorders or personal struggles. Uh, how would you advise them? I'd advise them to not go it alone and to find people that they can trust, to talk with those people and to seek out professional help and to recognize that that's a sign of strength, uh, to remember that they've got to take charge of their life in regard to routine and exercise, diet, uh, alcohol, you know, how they handle themselves. Um, it's a process for us to have a great life and we only have one brain, you know, one mind and one body and we didn't choose it, uh, but we can work with it. And that's what we've got to do as human beings. We've got to work with it, uh, but never go alone. Human connection is critical. And I think we've learned that in a big way uh, with the pandemic. I love it. Coach, if listeners want to get in touch with you, email, social media, what have you, what's the best way? The best way is probably Coach P, the number four life, as in final four. So Coach P for life on all social. I tend to do a lot on more on Twitter and I guess Instagram and LinkedIn. Um, I guess I guess amongst those three. My website is coachp.org. That's got a lot of information of my speaking events, uh, trying to get out there to speak and do all the different things I like to do professionally now. I would like people to understand that I'm building money towards a foundation. Right now, when I speak, all my monies go directly into that, that fund. Uh, I do not take a salary. I am working probably harder than I've worked in a long time, but there's no paychecks coming in. Most of it, well, all of it's going out um, to cover my costs and also allow me to raise that money so there can be a secret warrior foundation for brain health. And I see that down the road. That's not something I can do tomorrow. That's, you know, that's five, six years down the road. And um, I look forward to that, uh, bringing private support monies and dollars to communities to support brain health. Love it. Coach, last question. What's next? I don't know what's next. We'll see. Um, I think I could do a lot of different things. I'm going to continue to do this mental health advocacy work. Uh, travel the country. I really enjoy talking to students and student athletes, whether it was at Mississippi State or being in Manhattan, talking to a, a large company. There's a variety of places I can go. And I think my story can help a little bit and open up dialogue. I'm doing a Zoom on Sunday with a women's basketball team. Uh, again, trying to encourage them and talk a little bit about mental health and how they care for themselves and for others. And so we're not sure. We're not sure what's on the horizon, um, but we'll take it one day at a time. Selfishly, I hope you coach again, but I know that you're doing, I won't say more important work, but more important things. Uh, <laughs> well, thank you. And thank you for uh, taking the time to talk with me today. Thanks for listening to the Beyond the Box Score podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, leave reviews, and rate five stars.